Welcome to There's More to That Story, the most popular podcast in the United States where TJ Mercer talks about storytelling. I am your host, TJ Mercer, and I am going to tell you about uh, what makes a story great, so maybe you can love it more or maybe just hate it less. So uh, today's going to be a little different. I have not had time to script out a podcast at all. Normally, as surprising as it'll be because they're usually kind of random random rambly Blah, I need a script they're planned out and I do do a lot of reading and performing these podcasts but last week has been this past week has been uh, fairly busy I have not had time to write it you know with holidays and work and whatnot so this is going to be a little bit more improvised it's probably going to be a little bit shorter I'll do a lot of editing, get out some of my ums and pauses, so it'll sound like I'm a lot more brilliant than I am, and it's just a flow of, I can't make it sound like I'm a genius, but a flow of information that I may or may not be making up. So this is going to be a little shorter, mainly because I'm trying to come up with specific things to talk about for this podcast. I feel like a lot of it's just kind of recapping the story of the movie, and... The two I'm most proud of so far is uh, my Alien one about 5-act structure and the Back to the Future podcast that I did. Those just feel like I gave the most information of the kind that I want to give, the kind that make you think a little deeper about a story. So today, it's, uh, it's the Christmas season, as we all know, and I wanted to be cliche and only talk about Christmas movies for the next month until, I guess, New Year's. What I wanted to talk about today is the classic Cary Grant movie, The Bishop's Wife. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. It's a fun, classic Christmas movie, and it has Cary Friggin Grant in it, as well as uh, David Niven, who was the thief inside of the original Pink Panther movie. Almost nobody remembers any character in any Pink Panther movie. Except for, of course, Inspector Clouseau. Nobody remembers the guy who was trying to clear his name for stealing the Pink Panther in the first movie. Or, no, he was actually trying to steal the Pink Panther in the first movie. I haven't seen that one in a long time. Yeah, I should revisit it. I didn't particularly enjoy it because Clouseau is a very small character in that one. And when you're a kid, you don't enjoy that kind of thing. But it's a great movie. It is about a bishop, obviously. I've never understood why it's called The Bishop's Wife, but it is about a bishop who used to be with a small church, but he became popular and became the head bishop inside of a uh, city whose name we do not know. And he's not as happy as he used to be. He wanted to become a big bishop to do better things, but it doesn't feel like he gets to do them he feel he's embroiled in the politics of being a leader inside of the church, especially inside of this particular situation where he's having to try and work the wealthier people inside of the city because he wants to build a fancy new cathedral. But uh, the I guess she's the closest thing to the antagonist, the wealthiest woman in town. She wants to give him the money, but only if the church is a memorial to her late husband. And since he is a devout Christian and bishop, he doesn't want to make the church a symbol to someone who is not Jesus or a saint. 
and he just doesn't feel very comfortable with it. And so he prays for guidance, but he still wants his church. And Cary Grant plays an angel who shows up to help him. And Cary Grant shows him, well, it's actually not the church that you want. You see, you've been neglecting your family, and that's why you're miserable. It has nothing to do with the politics of this situation and maybe not getting the church that you want. The way he shows this is by having the experiences with David Niven's wife that he's missing out on. Everybody can see Cary Grant. He's not an invisible angel. He tells everybody that Cary Grant is going to be his new assistant and helping him out. And the first day on the job, David Niven tells his wife, hey, here's a list of things that I think we should do today, and it'll be a lot of fun. She's very excited. And then he gets called into work, and he can't do them, and she's really disappointed. And Cary Grant ends up having a day of all of those things that he listed. So David Niven used to see another man, even though it's an angel, having fun with his wife, and he's missing out on spending time with her. And so since it's an angel, he's not having an affair with her, but David Niven comes to grips with how miserable he would be if he lost everything. And he kind of does. His wife is seems to be happier spending time with this angel. His daughter likes the angel more, he thinks. The housekeeper and uh, his assistant all like the angel more. And he just, he sees what his life would be without all those people. And he, that knowledge brings him back. And he decides, you know what? I don't care if I get this cathedral. I just need to spend time with the people that I love and that love me. It's a great movie. There's actually a remake called The Preacher's Wife starring Denzel Washington. I don't really like it as much. And I think that part of the reason is... Cary Grant does a very good job of kind of towing that line of David Niven's wife not actually having an affair with him. And it never seems that way. It just seems like he's a nice person who is spending time with this neglected woman with no ulterior motive. I mean, he does say a couple of times that he's starting to grow attached to her. But in the context that he does it, it seems like he says something about how he has to go if she sends him away. And something about the way that Cary Grant plays the scene, it feels very much so like he is trying to get her to say that so that he can be done and go on to other assignments from, you know, God. But the preacher's wife has Denzel Washington as the angel. And I don't care who you are, if Denzel Washington starts seeming to flirt with you, you're going to leave your husband for him. I mean, Denzel Washington is just awesome. He's an incredibly attractive man and very suave and classy and smooth. And I can't even remember the name of the guy who played the pastor inside of that one. And you just think, yeah, I'd, I'd leave him too. Denzel, Denzel's better. Trade up, woman, trade up. And so because of that, it just feels a little, I guess, ickier in a way. So I don't really care for The Preacher's Wife. I may be wrong. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I mean, Cary Grant, although Denzel Washington... I'm torn. Anyway, but I don't want to talk about any of that. Uh, The thing I want to talk about with this story is a backstory. Obviously, in order for a writer to be good at creating side characters, they need to know where those characters came from. They don't need to have, like, a detailed knowing their entire life, but, you know, it helps if you know where that person is from. Okay, so this guy's a henchman, but I will imagine he's from New Jersey. I will also imagine that we'll say his dad was a fishmonger 
and he got into a life of crime because of this and this and this and so on and so forth. You don't have to put a whole lot of thought into it, but it's just nice to have, it helps complete the image of the person inside of your head. So we have this wealthy woman who seems like a jerk and a little self-centered for making, trying to make a church about her husband. And it's just odd. And we've seen the selfish, wealthy person hundreds of thousands of times. It's almost a cliche in Hollywood now. <laughs> now. It has been for a very long time. And we see the selfish one who's never been told no. The person who likes to be in control of other people. And so on and so forth. And when you first... But this woman has a very different backstory. And I really like it because it makes things different. It makes her salvation seem a little bit more real. Uh, Carrie Grant visits her and through talking to her, she decides I don't want to build the church and but I'm going to start giving my money away because I have not been using it well or for the good of this city. And she doesn't want to build a church anymore. And Carrie Grant convinces her otherwise. And the way that he convinces her, because of what her backstory is so much more convincing um, he finds a note that it's sheet music for a heart piece of all things, and it's dedicated to her, but the name on it is not her husband. So Cary Grant, being an angel, plays the harp, which I will say that this movie has a very clever way of getting an angel character to play a harp. It's, it's a, it's, it seems like a visual gag. I don't know if... I, I feel like the writers were kind of laughing to themselves... They're thinking, hey, I wonder if anyone else will get this joke. But yes, the the angel plays a harp in this movie. But he plays the harp, and he plays the piece, and she recognizes it. And it just, she starts bearing her soul because hearing that piece of music that she's only heard played by one man before in her life that no one else knows exists just really yanks her heart out. So she confesses to him that it was written by the man she loved, the only man she loved, not her husband. And he was a brilliant young composer, but he was a composer. And they were in the teens, I guess would be, maybe even earlier. And there was no money in being a composer. And they were engaged to be married, but she got cold feet, not about being married, but about their future. She didn't want, she was scared. She didn't want to live a life of poverty. She didn't have the courage to go through with it. And then he died later inside of a car wreck. Um penniless nobody knew who he was except for her she was the only person in the world who knew about his brilliance but she married a very very wealthy man because he had money and so this is where the backstory gets interesting because she was in poverty it is a very different scenario we we like i said we've seen the the care the rich person who likes to boss people around, the rich person who likes to feel in control, the rich person that feels like she's better than everyone else, all of those things. And we see that she's not one of those because the way that she became wealthy is she married into it. And not it was not always her plan. She was not a gold digger that was looking for a wealthy man from the beginning. She almost married poor, but she became scared of of marrying a poor man. So she married a wealthy man whom she didn't love and she knew that she didn't love. We've seen that before uh, in the gold digger character inside of Hollywood, but this woman felt guilt about it. 
Uh, she always felt like I married a man I didn't love. I didn't marry the man that I did love, and he died alone and penniless, and that's my fault. So inside of trying to name the church after her husband, she even tells them that she wants a mural of St. George slaying the dragon, and she wants St. George to look like her husband whose name was George. She wants a large plaque uh, commemorating her husband. She wants the cathedral to be on a spot where everyone can see, and she wants it to be called the George... I can't remember his last name. George Smith Memorial Cathedral. And the reason that she wants to do all this stuff, the reason that she wants to give money to things that put her husband's name in time and history and the future and um, no one will ever forget him because of what she's done with his money is because she feels guilty and she wants to prove to people that she actually left her husband because she needs to prove it to herself. And that is just a very unique backstory to me. Uh, I don't know if I can think of another time when that's been done for a wealthy character. And it's so powerful because that's how that that can be a driving force for somebody to do something. Uh, we see it all the time where if you feel bad about something, then you almost go overboard in trying to correct it or not to correct it. If you if people feel bad about something that they've done or something that they feel or hypocrisy in their life, they will especially at hypocrisy. We see that all the time in real life. If somebody feels really bad about a hypocrisy inside of their life or in something that they've done or something they believe or something they've said, they almost go overboard in trying to correct that in order to prove, no, 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 I don't actually think that. Nobody could even know about the hypocrisy, but they know it and they're trying to prove it, prove that they don't have it. Uh, if somebody had a, told a racist joke or something and they feel bad about it, then they will go overboard trying their absolute darndest to prove to the world that they're not racist, even if they, no one saw them being racist. Nobody accused them of being racist, but they feel bad, and so now they are going to do everything that they can to prove to the world and thus prove to themselves that they're not racist. So she is trying to prove to everybody, even though they're not even looking for it, because she needs to prove it to herself that she did in fact love her husband, and she wants people to remember him, and she wants people to remember that she wanted people to remember them. And it's something that we can all understand. It makes her not a villain. It makes her human. Something that a one of the few writing instructors that I ever had, uh, Miss Leslie Howe, told me that has always stuck with me is no villain ever believes that they're a villain. The villain side of Serenity is an exception. Uh, I feel like he's a, a fantastic villain. He knows that he's a bad person, and it's interesting to think about. But she certainly is not a villain. She's just a person, a person who got herself into a situation that has kind of ruled her life. She didn't want to be that way. She doesn't want to feel that way, and she's working to keep herself from feeling that way. But there's nothing she can do about it until Cary Grant comes to her and says, what does it matter? Essentially, we don't see what he tells her. We just see her talking to him. So I think we can infer that what he conveys to her is nobody thinks that you didn't love your husband. You were with him for 30, 40, 50 years faithfully, and that's the sign of a good wife. You may have, you may feel like you never loved him, 
but you clearly did. You stuck with him, and he died first, and you still think about him, and you miss him. Nobody needs you to write these grand monuments to him or build these grand monuments to him in order to feel like you loved him. Nobody's even looking for proof of that. And you feel guilty about leaving this other man that you did love. And if you feel guilty about that, well, how about you use the money that you have to do what would make the man that you loved happy and would make him proud of you. And I think that kind of thing is what convinces her to start giving her money to the poor and to start using it inside of a way that, I think his name was Adam, that Adam would like and would make him, if he was watching, would make him feel a little better about the decision that she made because she can't take it back. So she just has to make the most of the situation that she put herself in and to let go of her guilt. So I just find that interesting to have a wealthy person being a jerk driven by guilt, not by greed. It's, or a lust for power. It's, it's refreshing. I can't really say it's refreshing. It's a movie from, I think, 1946. It's, it's been around for a long time. But it's unique ne- still. Uh, you know, almost 100 years later. Yeah, almost 100 years. It's like 70-something years later. Maybe a little less. I can't remember the exact year that it came out. Yeah, probably a little more. If anything, it's earlier than 1947. All right, so that is my podcast on The Bishop's Wife. I'm not sure what I'll be doing next week. The next book podcast is going to be a little slow in coming because I have not been faithfully reading it. Um, So subscribe if you want to hear from me next week. I Like I said, I, I can't promise you what I'll be talking about. It'll be something Christmassy. Email me at more to that story podcast at gmail.com if you love a movie and you think more people should love it if you know of a movie that other people love and you can't understand why they love it or if there's a movie that you love and you don't know why you like it i might be able to help explain that or if there's a movie that everyone else loves and you don't like and you can't seem to figure out why i might be able to help with that so please just interact with me and i will talk to you guys next week bye